Hello and welcome. I'm John McAlevey, and you've arrived at the Quadcast. This is a podcast mainly aimed at folks like me who have had their lives affected by a spinal cord injury, but it's really just for anyone who wants to be inspired. Think of this show as your 30 to 45 minute session of OT and PT for the soul. Boy, I hope you had a chance to hear last week's show. What a great honor and thrill it was to have my doctor and dear friend, Dr. Stephen Kirschbloom from Kessler, as our guest. He is someone I trust implicitly and cannot thank him enough for guiding me through these last 28 years. Now, when I looked up the word vocation in the dictionary, here are the definitions I found. A particular occupation, business, or profession, calling and a strong impulse or inclination to follow a particular activity or career. Welcome to the Back to Work installment of the podcast. In that regard, I recall a few days into my stay at Kessler Institute for Rehabilitation, there was a woman that entered my room and asked me what my career goals were. Quite frankly, at the time, that was the furthest thing from my mind, as if things like walking, feeding myself, and brushing were at the top of my list. However, in the next breath, I vividly remember telling her that I've got this. I'm going to work at ESPN one day. That woman's name was Teresa Keegan, and I learned that she was Kessler's vocational facilitator, or in other words, their person tasked with helping me and others overcome barriers to accessing, maintaining, or returning to employment or other useful occupations. She was a rock star. And that was apropos because she had an Elvis Presley infatuation to the point that on Halloween, she would dress up like the king. Teresa was an amazing advocate who worked tirelessly for anyone and everyone who reached out for her help. Now, unfortunately for me, work-related, as time moved on, the whole ESPN dream job sort of faded away. My priorities changed, plus I didn't feel as if I could move away from home at the time. So Teresa dug in, looking for something sports-related here in New Jersey. The next thing I knew, she was taking me to an interview for an internship with the New Jersey Nets, which, of course, I crushed. After the initial meeting, though, I don't think the folks with the Nets knew exactly what they were getting with me. Quite frankly, they had no idea how to use me, so I basically just spent my days cutting articles about the team from newspapers and scrapbooking them. Could you think of a better job for someone whose hands don't work than giving them scissors and having them stuff envelopes? Me neither. Needless to say, that did not last too long. I think that was around the time that I started telling people that I can get up and walk around wherever I want to. I just can't do anything when I get there. Part of that was to put them at ease and to make them laugh. But the other part of that is that it was absolutely the God's honest truth. You know, I did not speak up for myself at the time, so I guess I was partly at fault. But my first experience with getting back to work was not exactly a home run. What it did teach me, though, is that there was a lot more to take into account when thinking about going back to work than just finding that gig in the first place. I suddenly had to account for many things that most take for granted. Thank goodness I could shower and dress myself, but found out that traveling on toll-paying highways, parking in parking lots, and mastering bathroom issues were difficult obstacles. I had a car that was adapted for me that I could handle quite nicely, so driving was not an issue. Paying tolls on the Garden State Parkway and the New Jersey Turnpike before Easy Pass, well, that was another story. 
In those days, you had to actually throw money into a basket in order to raise a gate. Well, central cord syndromers can't reach the basket like they used to. There were times when I missed four and five times and actually had to put the change in my mouth and blow it in so that I could open the way for the building line of beeping cars behind me. There was one night following a Nets game and dinner afterwards with friends that I ran out of quarters, had to turn my car around and head back to Route 280 because I simply could not get the gate open. Then my mom had a great idea to tape a pouch to my door and put a few dollar bills in it. This way, when I pulled up to an attendant booth, I could roll down the window and say, hello, can you please take the money out and put the change back in? As you could imagine, they looked at me as if I had six heads, but I soldiered on with a smile on my face, how sometimes I don't even know. Another stab I took at working was at a place called Sports Ticker. It was in the Harborside Financial Center building in Jersey City. Of course, that fancy building had a fancy parking lot, which luckily for me had a push-to-take-ticket machine, which also had to raise a gate. As you could imagine, yours truly could not push to take the ticket. So, another large line would gather behind my Jeep Cherokee each and every time I had a shift. I would have to put my car in park, physically get out, push the button, and pray to God that the ticket came out far enough for my fingers to pull it out. Then I would have to get back in the car and hope that I could get through before the gate came down again. Oftentimes, I would avoid this Herculean task, looking for spots on the street which were often far from the building, but would save me the frustration. Sports Ticker is also the place of one of my lowest moments, which for years held me back from looking for jobs outside of the house. Let's just say that my bowel program, which was supposed to happen well after my 5 p.m. shift ended, like around 9 p.m., decided to move things up for my walk through the concourse of the building in khaki pants at 5.15 in rush hour. That, my friends, was a low point, one that still haunts me to this day. From there, I began working for my father in the house as his personal secretary, typing, emailing, and faxing, and then for the last 10 years have been contributing to a sports website called More Sports Now. Steve Titchener and Matt Lachlan welcomed me aboard and treat me as an equal. I cannot thank them enough for their inclusion and mostly their friendship. And that, my friends, is a brief history of my post-accident work history. As you can see, it wasn't all smooth sailing. It is today's guest's job to help us navigate those choppy waters in order to find us a position that best suits us and our limitations. Adria D. Simone is the current vocational facilitator at Kessler Institute for Rehabilitation in West Orange, New Jersey. And like Teresa Keegan back in the day, she is an amazing advocate for us in the disabled community. Adria not only has spent time with me trying to find that spot for me to shine, but she has accompanied me on a fact-finding mission to the Division of Vocational Rehabilitation. And I'm not sure if she knows this or not, but her encouragement, along with that of others, really gave me the confidence I needed to launch the quadcast. Following this commercial break, our Back to Work edition rolls on with my friend, Adria D. Simone. This is my new best friend, Esther. She might look like any normal, playful puppy, but Esther's being raised to become a canine companions for independence assistance dog for a person with a disability. To get there, she needs lots of loving care and attention, plenty of exercise, and good eating habits so that she can live a long and healthy life for her future family. And she needs to spend tons of time socializing, learning basic commands like sit and stay, 
and taken to fun places with lots of distractions so that she can learn to cope in every situation. All of this will prepare Esther for more professional training to become a real assistance dog and a life helping a person with a disability to live more independently. Are you ready to open your heart and home for 18 months to a puppy like Esther? To find out more about becoming a canine companion for Independence Puppy Raiser or about other volunteer opportunities, visit cci.org or call 1-800-572-BARK. Raise a puppy, change a life. You can make a world of difference in the life of a person with a disability. And welcome back to the Quadcast. Now, aside from giving each of my shows a title, I've begun to look for quotes to tie them all together. And here is one I thought that was apropos for today's program. Quote, everyone has a purpose in life, a unique gift or special talent to give to others. And now it is my pleasure to welcome in the aforementioned Adria D. Simone. Thank you for joining me today, Adria. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. Excellent. I know that I have talked to you about this ad nauseum and uh, and promised that I would get you on. And you are now episode number nine. So you made the top 10 All right. list. <laughs> Wonderful. Terrific. Well, one thing I like to do, Adria, when I have a guest on, whether they are a spinal cord injured person, a doctor or whomever, is I like to sort of find out what they did before the position that they're in, whether it was an accident or their profession. So why don't you tell us a little bit about, first of all, where you grew up and some of the aspirations that you had as a young lady? Sure. Um, I grew up here in New Jersey, um, a little town called Glen Ridge. My parents still live there. Um, and honestly, I never really knew what I wanted to do for work. Um, majority of my family, so both of my parents, my dad is now retired. He was an elementary school principal. My mom has a teaching background, and I'm the youngest of six children. So four of my siblings all went into education, and I thought, all right, maybe I'll maybe I'll be a teacher. Um, and when applying for colleges and thinking about what I wanted to do, I think, you know, when you're 16, 17, 18, I was more focused on like the social fun parts of college, if you, if you know what I'm saying. As well you um, should figured, be. <laughs> right. And I thought, let me, figure, let me figure out my degree once I get there. Um, so I went to the University of Scranton, which is in Scranton, Pennsylvania. I don't know if you're an office fan. Have you ever watched that TV show? Yes. Yes, Michael Scott. Yes, um, so absolutely. Most, yeah, most people think about that when they hear Scranton. Um, but I went to, they have a wonderful Jesuit university um, where I where I went for undergrad and grad school. Um, and it wasn't really until then when I was exposed to um, really all the different types of barriers that people with disabilities face and truly what that looks like from an employment setting. Yes. Well, let me first give you kudos for saying the University of Scranton, because most people just say Scranton, you know? <laughs> You're right. Yes. They do. <laughs> I live, my mom always tells me that the capital of New Jersey is Trenton and not Trenton. So uh, yeah, you get kudos for that. But you mentioned um, the, in college, what was your major? And, and at that point, yeah. did you start thinking, when did a, a career working with, you know, people that are disabled come into your radar because that's not something that is, you know, something that people maybe aspire to as a young person. When did that come about? So my undergrad degree is in counseling and human services. And um, I always knew I wanted to help people, but I I really didn't know, you know, it's so broad um, and looks like a lot of different things when it comes to a career goal. 
So it's kind of funny. I had two different experiences in undergrad that were totally different, but I think overlapped with each other at one point and brought me to the field of um, rehab counseling. So as part of my uh, financial aid as an undergrad, I was assigned to work study and I was assigned to work in the Office of Career Services. And um, the, the office is wonderful. The people are fantastic. They treated me like family. And I still to this day keep in touch with, with the people who work there. But it was such a boring job. <laughs> and um, I would, you know, take phone calls. I would schedule mostly business students, I would say, to come in and do mock interviews with the with the counselors or they were meeting with them for resume preparation. And I just thought like, oh, this is so boring. <laughs> you know, yeah. sometimes I would, I would make their files and I would, you know, collect their letters of recommendation and do things like that. But it was kind of like my first taste of like career top, like that topic of career per se. Yes. Um, and then during my undergrad, I took a course and, um, I remember one of like the chapters was about employment for people with disabilities. And I remember learning about the concept of a job coach, which is um, a person who helps a person with a disability get a job, but usually learn the job. So they'll go to the work site with them and help them learn, learn how to do this job. And I remember being like blown away that something like this exists. And I, I can tell you like what classroom I was in. I can tell you probably what row I was in. Like I was just so impressed that there were these, this world of services that, you know, when put into a different context, this, this idea of employment and career made so much more sense and was more passionate for me when we were talking about helping people with disabilities to have same access to that employment. You had found um, your so calling. That was kind of, yeah, I found my calling. Um, and I remember raising my hand over and over and asking my professor, well, how do you know if someone needs a job coach or who pays for a job coach? Is it the employer? Is it the person? Is it the employee? And, you know, so it just led to this like rabbit hole of really awesome interest, which, you know, really brought me to that field of, of rehab counseling. No doubt. And being from New Jersey, were you familiar with Kessler Institute for Rehabilitation? And was that sort of the, you know, prize that you had your eyes on when you were going to graduate and look for uh, gainful employment to yourself? Yes. Yeah, so when I was, um, and you're a sports guy, when I was a kid, um, I played soccer. And if you are driving, you know, past Kessler, there's the armory. Yes. And with behind the armory, there's something called a soccer palace. And when I was a kid in the off season, I would go and with my friends, we did like an indoor league. And um, my dad would drive me past here. And he said, That's, this is Kessler. This is a great hospital. This is where Superman went. And, um, you know, this is kind of where... This is, it was just kind of something that I knew was a, a good, a great hospital. But when you think about counseling, you don't always think about counseling occurring in a hospital. You think about doctors and therapists and nurses. So I didn't really ever think like, oh, let me try to find something within Kessler. Um, when I was in undergrad and grad school, I had two different internships both um, within a hospital setting, actually, which kind of gave me this taste of, hey, there are counselors that are working within a medical in a medical setting. Um, so when I was needing to find an internship placement for graduate school, I just, you know, reached out to Kessler and explored, is there somebody here that is a, a rehab counselor? And if so, can we set up an internship? And um, I ended up um, worked completing my clinical internship in the outpatient cognitive rehab program where I was working with people with traumatic brain injuries, acquired brain injuries, and I was helping them return back to work. Wow. Now, how would that 
be different than working with folks with spinal cord injuries, the cognitive uh, and the brain injuries? So it's very different. Um, with cognitive rehab, you're teaching, you're helping individuals first gain awareness of what their um, cognitive impairment is, and then you're teaching them um, a compensatory strategy to overcome that impairment. So it's usually like an external um, device or some kind of strategy that the person can then utilize. So I ran a group called the Functional Skills Group, which is all geared towards return to work and return to school. And usually individuals transition into this phase of the program when they've demonstrated good awareness and um, good use of the external compensatory strategy, but then I, I would task them to it in a more functional environment. So the Functional Skills Group is simulated tasks that represent a person's job or their goal to return to school or something of that nature. So the, the purpose of you know, my job working in, in the group was to design and come up with tasks that were unique to this per, this individual's person's job, but also place demand on their cognitive deficit area. Um, so it was very creative, it was very fun, and it was incredibly helpful to support clients to get back to work. Um, it also gave them an opportunity to kind of like trial the, um, the strategy before in, in an environment where it was okay to quote unquote fail mm -hmm. because we were there to give them feedback and support them and figure out another way to get it done. Yeah. Um, and is that yeah, something so, that you could tailor make to the individual rather than just a one size fits all? Oh, absolutely. That the whole point of functional skills is to be tailored completely. Um, so usually each person in the group has their own, we call it a, we call it a circuit and um, it's kind of like your task for the day and each task, we assign a time allotment so that they have to alternate their attention, keep, you know, keep in mind of how much time they're working on a certain task, kind of like what you do at work. You have your schedule for the day. You have all these different things you have to get done. Some are high priority, some are low priority. And individuals do work independently, but we would often distract them with phone calls that were, you know, pertaining to another task they had to attend that became high priority, um, things like that. It was very dynamic and oftentimes the clients in the group would have to interact with each other as you do in your own work environment, you know? Um, so yes, it was definitely not a cookie cut approach. Right, right. So take us through the day in the life of a, rehabil a vocational rehabilitation counselor. Easy for me to say. I know in speaking <laughs> with you beforehand, I know you wear many hats. So please tell our listeners all of the many things that you are responsible for. Sure. So right now I work um, in the spinal cord injury department here at Kessler. And um, I first what I do is I attend, um, I'm, I'm considered an inpatient staff. So I, I can, I attend the clinical team meetings, which occur every, every day. And I'm part of um, the discussion with the doctors, the therapists um, about the progress that the person is achieving within their, their stay here, what their goals are. Um, I do a lot of listening. I learn so much about um, the needs and the barriers, but it's also an opportunity for me to report to the team goals that our shared clients have for employment. Um, and what I like about this, many different things, but it's it's led to so many um, opportunities for me to do like co-treatments or work with the therapist to integrate things like assistive technology early so that some of our patients who, if appropriate, they can work here bedside while they're using this assistive technology to help them early on. Um, so it, it, it really, it's, it's an early intervention role. And um, once people leave the hospital, 
once they're discharged, I follow them for a period of two years. And the whole purpose of this is to ensure that they don't fall through any gaps. And by that, I mean, we can I continue to help them coordinate any community service they might need, a medical service they might need, um, any other barriers they might be having towards therapy, medical, and or just accessing their community. I'm the person to check in and ask them, what, what, what do you need? Like, how can I help you? So the idea is the faster that I can connect them to services and, and they don't fall through the, the cracks, the faster that they'll be able to return to work. That's awesome. Um, and Yeah. And, and we're keeping the conversation of employment, you know, parallel with all their other goals of, you know, rehab and other things. So it's not... Once you complete your rehab, then we'll look at work. We're, we're pursuing the two concurrently. Absolutely. Now you lead me right into my next question. What supports and <laughs> services are most helpful for people with a spinal cord injury to know about when they begin their return to work plan? Sure. Um, I would say there's a couple of things. The first and foremost is that the idea that they can work, even if their job was physical in nature or... Um, you know, required a certain skill set that maybe they feel like is has been compromised due to their spinal cord injury. Um, there are agencies in the community, and I know we'll talk a bit further about the Division of Vocational Rehabilitation. Um, there's assistive technology that can be completely individualized to meet the um, physical impairment and match it to the type of job task that person has to do that can help them compensate for certain type of impairments. Um, and then there's benefits counseling. I think um, for some people who um, might have a certain type of like maybe Medicaid insurance and there's different restrictions on how much money you can earn or resources, they're under the belief that you, you most certainly cannot work because of those restrictions. And there's different programs within New Jersey um, that allows you to earn a significant amount of money and keep your Medicaid so long as you're working and considered disabled. So there's just so much information that I think those three tend to be pretty common. What services are available to me? Um, you know, assistive technology and as well as um, what's going to happen to my benefits, my income and my health insurance. So those are the three main things I think I, I see are pretty, you know, common with when I'm talking and having conversations um, with patients who are interested in going back to work. There is so much that goes into this, folks. I mean, I just thought, you know, I, um, you know, you pick up the yellow pages and you look for a job and you call it up and see if you can go for an interview. But as you said, there's so many tentacles to this from, you know, whether it's transportation yeah. to benefits to Medicare to how much you can make. Can you work full time yeah. and still keep all your benefits? And so, you know, having someone like you that is so good at what you do is such a benefit to, to myself and all of uh, my friends that are at Kessler. But here's another question for you. What are some of the concerns that you hear from folks that are maybe tentative about dipping their toe back into the water of working again? Mm -hmm. um, some of the concerns, um, one that comes up a lot is disclosure. Um, and by disclosure, talking to their employer about maybe needing an accommodation so part of an, you know, when when requesting an accommodation, um, well, first of all, people want to know well, what kind of what kind of accommodation might I need in order to help me get back to work, and then how do I request this? 
Um, so there's a whole, you know, a really, it's, it's very unique to each person's situation and their preference, really. The person has to be comfortable to have these conversations. Um, but I think that's one in particular that I, I enjoy having those conversations because I think that it's very empowering to kind of coach and guide people and hear what their fears and concerns are about speaking with their employer about, you know, returning back to work and needing, needing their return to look a little bit different through an accommodation. Um, I hear a lot of people who, you know, they sometimes can't just fathom doing what they were doing before. So they think there's no other options for them in terms of employment, which certainly isn't true. Um, so we focus a lot on, you know, transitioning their skill set and their interest into another position or a modified position within the same employer, um, or maybe doing something totally new, maybe going for re-education or training that will help them reach new employment. Um, those tend to be some pretty common things that come up. You mentioned disclosure. Um... I had that problem uh, in my first gig, and I remember it was an internship with the New Jersey Nets, and I chronicle this in my introduction, but I'll just make it quick here. They found a job for me to cut articles out of the newspaper. This is when there were still such things as newspaper kids. Um, <laughs> but I, I was tasked with using scissors to cut articles out to chronicle in scrapbooks. So can you imagine mm. giving a guy that has no use of his hands uh, the job to mm. sit in the corner and do scissors? But I was no. either too too <laughs> proud or too, you know, squeamish to go up and say, you know, hey, I can't do this. Can you find me something else? So I can right. see where people right. um, would feel that way. Also, I know that uh, the two Bs, bowel and bladder, are always something that... Um, come up when I speak with, uh, with fellow friends who are, um, you know, doing anything in life, whether it's working or going out for, for dinner or whatever, you need to know sort of where the bathrooms are. And I think I know where every men's room is in the tri-state area over these last yeah. uh, 28 years. So I know that that is something that, um, folks need to take into account. How about, we mentioned before about DVR, can you tell everybody what it stands for and what sort of services sure. they can provide for someone? Yeah, absolutely. So um, DVR stands for the Division of Vocational Rehabilitation, and that is the New Jersey State Vocational Rehab Agency. Um, there's a, Every state in the country has their own rehab agency, but just that's what's called in New Jersey. Um, and basically what they do is their whole mission is to help people with all types of disabilities get employment and keep their employment. And they do that by paying for many different services that a person might need. Um, so an example, people might want to know, well, what kind of services are they? Really, there's so many. Um, when we talk, some of the immediate discussions that I have when we're talking about early intervention services for people who are newly injured with spinal cord injury, um, we talk about them helping them to pay for return to driving. Um, so the driving rehab, pro rehab program, DVR can pay for vehicle modifications and adaptations. DVR can pay for an assistive technology evaluation, um, which is not covered by any type of insurance, the cost of that. They can even pay for the recommendations made out of that the technology evaluation to help somebody be employed. Um, DVR can pay for worksite evaluations and modifications, home access, so they can help modify your home. Um, DVR pays for maybe if you're not sure what you want to do for work, they'll pay for something called a vocational evaluation. 
which is like um, a three to 10 day testing, um, which they look at your interests and your aptitudes to come up with a, an employment goal. Um, they'll pay for things like I talked about earlier, a job coach or a job developer or supported employment. So really they'll pay for not anything, but there's so many different services under their umbrella, so long as it leads to employment. Um, and that includes school. They will help pay for two costs of tuition or assistive technology that someone might need to be successful in school because school is a stepping stone towards employment. Mm-hmm. Um, so they're a fantastic agency, and a person can pick up the phone and refer themselves really. Um, they, they just need to supplement it with medical documentation through a release form. Um, but I, I really encourage all listeners, if, if out of state, just Google, you know, your, you know, whatever state rehab agency and it will pop up and that will kind of guide you towards that resource. Absolutely. And hats off to DVR. I'd like to thank them. They have helped me um, with adaptations to not one, but two of my cars uh, that, have, that made it easy for me to to get back out on the road again and to, to get to work and um, to do what I need to do as a, as a functioning human being. It was the greatest thing when, um, when I got yeah. in that car for the first time and no one was around and I could put the tunes on as loud as I wanted to, uh-huh. you know, and I just felt like I was the old Johnny Mac again, like it was nothing wrong with me. <laughs> yeah, so right, that was right. great. They do terrific That's work. Awesome. And I'm hoping to work mm-hmm. with them um, in the future with things. How important, Adria, is it for a patient to have a supportive and hands-on family um, to help along with this process to get them back to work? I think any support from family member or neighbor or, you know, religious group, any type of support is, you know, is so helpful during when somebody is, you know, recently injured or trying to navigate and, and, and achieve new goals. Um, but in my experience, family involvement has always been so helpful to um, collect additional information about the person that I'm assisting. But also when individuals are um, transitioning home or planning to go home, there's a lot of responsibility placed on the family members initially, usually. And if I can help give them information or resources about um, maybe like personal care attendant services or a ramping program for their home, anything to reduce um, caregiver responsibility, um, that's another way that will only help the whole dynamic of that family, um, but also, you know, ensure that that person will feel supported as they are taking on this new role of caregiver. Um, so yeah, it's, it's incredibly important to have that support and some people don't and that's okay. Um, but you know, I think any information to, as it relates to the individual's goal is really what the purpose of my role is to give them information that will make them more independent and more successful. Nice. And how about when you first go in to meet with someone, what if they're resistant to the whole thing and they're saying, you know what? Working? What are you talking about? I'm just trying to walk again and I want to try and feed myself. And, you know, basically I don't have time for that. Is that someone that you'll give a little cooling off period and then go back and, um, you know, knock on their door again before they're discharged? Sure. Yeah. So um, there's no obligation to enroll in my service. Um, yeah. Some people, they're just not, folk, they're not there yet. The goal of work might just be down the road and that's totally okay. Um, I usually say, hey, if you change your mind, give me a call and and we can touch base then. Um, but there's sometimes people, I think, like we were talking about earlier, they just 
can't imagine working. Like they can't imagine working now that this had happened to them. And I oftentimes cite and give examples of people who I've assisted to return to work who might have a similar level of injury or similar job or a more severe injury. And I explain to them, this is what this person needed. This is what I helped them to have access to. And now they're working. So I think it's just giving them hope and information and relating it to something relevant, like a peer, you know, somebody who another person with a spinal cord injury is, I think, really eye opening and encouraging. Absolutely. How about we're living in this strange alternate universe now with this terrible coronavirus pandemic? How has this affected what you do on a daily basis? And what do you see, you know, maybe some changes coming from this in the future? Sure. So, yes, this has had a a big impact on um, my day in and my day out. So, you know, first and foremost, there's much more greater demand on virtual services. So I've been doing a lot of video sessions and a lot of telephone connection with my my clients instead of meeting in person. Just yesterday, I was um, on a conference, a three-way call with um, a DVR counselor, the client and myself, and we were talking about job leads that they were sending over. And then I'm going to now meet with this person on Friday and we're going to, you know, remotely, I'm going to connect with him via video and we're going to look through this job application and, you know, start to applying through jobs that way. Um, and I think, you know, just other restrictions from other agencies that I collaborate with. Some people, some agencies are temporarily closed or they have limited staff. So it's harder for me to um, connect or collaborate with these agencies and, you know, assist assist our shared clients. Um, and then overall, you know, we've been seeing what's been happening to like the, the job market right now. So people are out of work. Um, so there was right as this was happening in March, there was a couple of clients that I was working with who we were right on like the tail end of negotiating a return back to work with their employer or identifying accommodations, like really all like the the stuff I love. And it came to a screeching halt because the employer is now focused on, you know, COVID and what are we going to do with our business? And it just wasn't suddenly this conversation of getting this person back to work, unfortunately, just wasn't a priority. It was for the employer to figure out, I need to tend to kind of some bigger fish right now. Um, So things came to a bit of a halt, which was discouraging. Um, And then for some of my clients who lost their work, um, they on their own applied for like pandemic and insurance. Um, I'm sorry, pandemic, unemployment insurance, things like that. So um, the goal is to get everybody back to work and, you know, not to rely on these on these systems and, you know, temporary loss of income type of services. So it's it's been it's been interesting and starting to feel a little bit more normal, I would say. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, I think we're all adjusting and adapting. So. But those are three words you probably never thought you'd say. Pandemic emergency insurance. Right? I know. Exactly. Good grief. What a world. You know, I'm sure something else you've heard, um, because I've heard it from folks that I am in outpatient therapy with now. I've only been doing it for a couple weeks now. And I, when speaking with Dr. Kirschbloom last week, you know, folks in our community are sort of afraid to to leave the house. I mean, we're we're in a high risk category, and so I'm sure maybe your client list has dwindled a little bit because maybe people are saying, you know, Adria, I don't feel comfortable even thinking about going out of the house right now. Right. Yes, that's that's true. Um, and there's actually been what I've noticed a, a, an increase in work from home positions. 
that are posted. So I think, you know, companies and organizations are adapting and re- recognizing maybe some of that too for those who are hiring. Um, well, can this can this job be completed from a work-from-home standpoint? And if so, um, how can I use that information and kind of continue to encourage those who don't want to leave their home? Like, hey, here's another option. that You can certainly work from home. You can keep your safety if that's something you're concerned about. Mm-hmm. So it's just being kind of, you know, abreast of all the changes and the information going, up, going Absolutely. around. Absolutely. And lastly, uh, I know we've talked about some of the hurdles that are in the way uh, that make it hard for folks like me and, and others with spinal cord injuries to get back to work. But I want to give you an opportunity to tell me about some of your favorite success stories. People who, you know, may have been scared when you first went in that first day, but you were able to help them find what it is that they wanted to do and they're thriving. Yeah. Uh, we have so many success stories in, in the program. We really do. And I, what I, I love about my job is that I const- I'm constantly learning because everybody has different goals, different needs, different interests. So it's a person-centered approach. I'm hearing, what do you need? What do you want? What's your goal? And how can I support you? Um, so I've helped, um, my, most recently, I helped an individual who is a dog trainer return back to work. Um, and this was what was so great about the story is there was so much um, interdisciplinary collaboration um, between myself and his PT, but also involvement from his employer. So I was able to um, attend a couple of meetings with the, with the client and his employer, and then they let me observe, come in one day and just observe somebody else who's who's um, filling in his role while he was out of work. So I could really get a sense of like how physical is this job, because the way the person would describe it. I was like, there's got to be more more to this than what you're describing. <laughs> it was just helpful to see the, the terrain and the environment and the behavior of the dogs and what's required of him when he's, you know, doing his different types of training and then how to identify a potential accommodation. Um, so with this information, I gave it all back to his physical therapist and now patient therapy, and she was able to really increase um, the challenge and adjust the tasks that she was working with him um, within therapy to simulate those certain demands. Um, And this gave the doctor an idea of what restrictions might he need, um, what what medical clearance capacity can we return him back to work on? Is there a ambulation restriction? Is there a lifting restriction? Is there a endurance restriction? And if so, how do we make that more of like a concrete a number through the um, through his performance within PT, um, and that information also helps us come up with an accommodation. So um, fortunate for this individual, his employer has a power wheelchair that they provide for clients who come and utilize their services. And my um, client was trained. One of the two dog trainers who were trained specifically on how to use his power wheelchair. Um, so during inclement weather and or during certain long distance training, he would utilize this um, wheelchair to complete those aspects of his, of his work. Um, this person could ambulate, but not at, um, you know, the endurance level that he was before he sustained his injury. Um, but, you know, most people think like a, you know, a dog trainer, you know, how, how are you going to get that person back to work? Well, we certainly can. And I like that story because there's so many different, you know, facets and aspects of it that all came together to support a return for him, which was really great. And that must just make what you do 
all the world worthwhile. You know, when you hear a story like that, when you see it go from, here's what I want to do to, wow, you've got a lot of issues that might get in the way to then actually see it come to fruition just must make you sit back and say, whew, I did it. Yeah. And you know, it's, it's really, I'm so, what, what I've, I've worked with many different populations before I've worked with, um, spinal cord injury and I'm, I'm amazed by two things. I'm amazed at the resilience and the dedication and the drive that so many of my clients have, not just for work, for everything. They really put 2000% into everything that they, that they are striving for, you know, within their rehab and their return, return to pre, pre-injury activities. But from like a vocational standpoint, I'm also very surprised at how underserved they are and how underrepresented, uh, underrepresented they are within the workforce. And it's making me want to be more of an advocate and more, you know, I'm so inspired by their dedication that I truly am their cheerleader in their corner to, you know, be the link between them and other services within the community, but then educate those services too about how to properly work with this type of population and what their needs are and what, what will work best for this person given my experience working with them and so on and so forth. So yes, you're right. It, it truly is. It's very rewarding, but I'm, I'm constantly inspired by the people that I work with. Well, just so that you know, you meet us halfway. You know, we can only get over that finish line with your help. So on behalf of <laughs> uh, myself and my fellow brethren, we thank you for that. And uh, I know how busy you are because I've been in your office and heard your phone ring off the wall on many occasions. <laughs> so I wanted to thank you for fitting us into your schedule. And on a personal note, I wanted to thank you for encouraging me, giving me that push to try and do this so that when the quadcast is bought out by a big media conglomerate, rest assured, I will remember you, my friend. Oh, thank you, John. This is awesome. I'm I'm so impressed at how professional and wonderful that this whole series is, and it's going to really be helpful for a lot of people. So thank you for including me on it. Unfortunately, that's all the time we have for this week. I want to thank Adria D. Simone again for sharing with us all that there is to keep in mind when someone is exploring the idea of getting back to work. And speaking of getting back to work, we will do just that next week when my guest will be Eric Legrand. We've got so much to talk about, and you will hear all of it when my friend and I record episode number 10 of the Quadcast. Episode 10, wow, we've made double digits. That is amazing to me. I am really trying to get this endeavor off the ground and could use your help. So if you like what you hear, please tell a friend or two. You can find us at www.quadcast.org. We're on Twitter at TQuadcast and Instagram also at TQuadcast. Thanks again to my mixer at the Sound Lounge in New York City. Job well done, Chris Perapesco. Until next time, my friends, I am John McAlevey, and I thank you for your time. I don't care about no wheelchair. I got so much to